Hello and welcome to this Endo Life episode 114. I'm Jessica Duffin, I'm an endo warrior, an endo health coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here to inspire and educate and shouldn't be used as a replacement for your current medical treatment. As always, I want to thank our first sponsor today, BU. These guys are the makers of the incredible period patches that I love and also a beautiful organic CBD range, menstrual cup and chafing cream. And they really are one of the pioneers of natural and really quite revolutionary period care, in my opinion. I have seen these period patches change people's experience of their periods so dramatically and their experience of endometriosis so dramatically. And they are really one of the first things that I recommend to my clients if my clients are going through a flare-up or it's taken a while for their symptoms to calm down and for us to implement changes. I still want to provide my clients with something that's going to provide relief, you know, in that current moment. And I always recommend BU period patches because I just believe in them so much and they have helped me so much and they're natural. And it's just when you are so commonly faced with all of these different drugs that can have side effects, um, they have their place, but sometimes you just want a more uh, side effect free option. So um, I absolutely love these patches. They've been helping me through a interstitial cystitis flare-up that I've been going through recently. You can find out all about that on Instagram. Um, and if you want to try the BU patches for yourself, you can just head to the link in my show notes or go straight to their website, which is buonline.co.uk. So that's b-e-y-o-u-online.co.uk. If you are in the US or in Canada, you can actually also order your BU patches from Cult Beauty and they will ship to the US or to Canada. So that's cultbeauty.co.uk. Let me know how you get on with them. Okay, so I did a poll a couple of weeks ago um, on whether you guys experienced bladder pain. And I don't have the exact stat with me, but it was around 79% of you said that you were experiencing bladder pain, which is just staggering, especially considering that the research into interstitial cystitis or otherwise known as bladder pain syndrome and endometriosis has shown that 80% of people with endometriosis also have interstitial cystitis. And this poll correlates with that. So that was fascinating. And as you guys may be aware, I've been really on a journey with my bladder pain um, syndrome this year. And I've gone on multiple different um, elimination diets and, you know, I've had different testing and trying lots of different approaches. And I will say that I post SIBO treatment round one, I am beginning to feel relief and I'm responding so much more than I've responded all year long. The relief is a reduction in pain rather than an eradication of pain. But um, thank God for that. I've had a bit of worsening pain in the past two weeks because of some specific tablets that I'm taking for my SIBO, but now I've swapped onto new tablets. So that should begin to calm back down. And I just know firsthand how difficult it has been, even as a women's health coach, even as someone specialized in chronic pelvic pain and endometriosis, 
to navigate having endo, SIBO and interstitial cystitis, especially when you're not responding to the kind of conventional options out there. Um, and over the years, I've spoken to countless people with endo who also have bladder pain syndrome and they've been totally confused about which foods might be triggering them. And, you know, the general anti-inflammatory diet that I talk about here a lot that can help lower endometriosis pain partially conflicts with the general interstitial cystitis diet, which that diet recommends cutting out foods like tomatoes, whilst potentially inflammatory foods are given the green light. So as long as foods aren't really acidic, then, and and especially if they're like soothing, so you know, like if you have your tonsils out, people like eat lots of ice cream. It's a similar kind of approach with IC. So you're potentially eating a lot of sugar-laden inflammatory foods that actually could be making your inflammation in your bladder worse, but because they're not acidic, they're not ruled out of this diet and are actually listed as like foods to add in. So I really wanted to explore what's going on here and why certain healthy foods are given the boot in this typical diet and whether this diet actually works for everyone because my experience, it hasn't. So today I'm speaking with integrative and functional nutritionist and registered dietitian Brianne Fulton about nutrition for bladder pain and how to navigate this often really confusing world when you have multiple conditions. So in this episode, we're talking about the role of nutrition in interstitial cystitis, Brianne's thoughts on the traditional diet and where it originates from, which is super interesting, why healthy foods may still bother the bladder even if we're eating an anti-inflammatory diet. So for example, I've been eating an anti-inflammatory diet for seven years, but my bladder pain has just progressed. What role histamines and oxalates play in bladder pain? Which foods can soothe bladder pain? How to know where to first start and which tests and diets to try, which I think was a really helpful part of our conversation, actually. And the discussion was in some way in context within my conditions, but I actually think it's going to be really relevant for you guys as well. We also talk about what to do if you have endometriosis, SIBO and bladder pain syndrome altogether, the trio, as I like to call it, and what supplements to consider when trying to alleviate bladder pain. So if you've been experiencing bladder pressure, bladder urgency, sorry, I just, I just flicked the mic. If you've been experiencing bladder pressure, bladder urgency, bladder frequency, or bladder pain, this episode is just without a doubt one to listen to. And if you can afford to work with Brianne, I highly recommend it. You know, as far as working with nutrition's go, Brianne's price is actually reasonable. I'm not going to say it's affordable because we all have different ranges on what's affordable, but definitely so much more reasonable than other other nutritionist prices that I've seen. And that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be charging that. It just means that this makes it a bit more accessible. Okay, so before we dive into Brianne, I just wanted to give you guys a heads up that the founding members group for my course that launches in January, um, I've had a quite a number of requests after closing the enrollment last Monday. Um, we closed with a group of 20, 20 of us, and I'm just absolutely thrilled. But I've had multiple requests. So I have temporarily opened up enrollment for the people who I've already been speaking to. But I don't want to exceed more than 30 because I'm going to be working with 
the founding members to kind of get their opinions on the course. And if I'm managing like 50 different opinions, it's going to be a lot. So um, I'm going to cap at 10 more. I've already had a couple already sign up. So there's a few, there's like, I don't know, five or six places left. So if you wanted to enroll last week, but you missed out, drop me either an email on hello at this endolife.com or um, DM me on Instagram, which is at this underscore endolife and just message me and I'll send you the details and the options to sign up. But I have to close the enrollment this week, if not in the next few days. Um, I'm going to be going on my SIBO treatment break, my second SIBO treatment break from uh, Friday. So I'm going to be closing the enrollment by Thursday at the latest. So if you are interested, um, just reach out. I'm going to be capping it at 10 more people. So obviously at this point it's first come first serve. Um, but I would love to welcome you if you want to be involved and don't worry if you miss out on this or if for some reason this isn't the right time, but January might be, it will be going on sale to the general public, not as a founding member, but you know, just as a general participant of the course on January the 18th. So there's still time. You don't have to rush, but if you do want to be a founding member and you want to get involved in helping me to shape and finalize the course, then I would love you to join. So yeah, just email me or DM me and thank you so much for your support. I've been absolutely overwhelmed and just, just, yeah, really, I can't thank you guys enough for the support you had you show me around this course and your excitement and your interest. I can't wait for it to get going. Um, so yeah, here's Brianne. Okay. So Brianne, welcome so much to the show. Um, I would love it if you could begin with introducing yourself and telling us what you do at Icely Wellness. And actually, um, in case any of my listeners haven't heard previous episodes, if you could kind of tell us a bit more about Icely Wellness, that would be wonderful. Sure. So my name is Brian Thornton and I'm actually located in Wisconsin in the United States. And I'm an integration, integrative and functional nutritionist with IC Wellness. Um, I've been a dietitian since 2014. Um, but after working in the clinical conventional setting for a couple of years, I just really felt like I wasn't able to truly help people the way that I wanted mm-hmm. or the way that they really deserved. Um, so I actually learned more about complementary and alternative medicine and decided to pursue my master's in integrative and functional nutrition, because I really wanted to treat the whole person and really help clients get to their root cause. Um, So Elizabeth and I have been working together. Um, She's the founder of IC Wellness, and we've been working together for the past three years. And it's really just been super fulfilling for me and my goal of working in integrative nutrition. I initially started by writing blogs for her, and then we realized that clients really needed one-on-one consulting because IC is so individualized. And so um, we've been working on a few things in 2019. Elizabeth and I wrote a cookbook called The Complete IC Diet Cookbook, and we're currently developing other resources for the community, which we're really excited about. Oh my gosh, amazing. I'm so excited about that. Yeah. So we just really, I want to talk about it later, but we really just want to bring hope to the IC community because conventional medicine really um, doesn't have a lot of interventions that really promote healing. They really just address symptoms. And so we're here to help um, the IC community really find hope, but also find healing through um, maybe alternative forms. 
Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with that. And out of curiosity, what do you what did you find the difference was between being a dietitian versus a functional and integrative nutritionist? So with traditional nutrition training, it's not very individualized. Um, It's kind of hard and fast rules. Um, People with diabetes should have this many carbs. And um, for heart disease, you know, we have this diet. And so for conditions like IC, there's really no hard and fast rule. It's so personal. And Mm. so for anyone, you know, really even traditional, you know, conditions like heart disease or diabetes, it should still be individualized. And so um, my training also incorporates referrals to other clients or other providers because maybe their brain is um, getting in the way of their healing if they have depression or something. um, And really just treating that whole person is important. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. That's really interesting. And Mm -hmm. in case, you know, in case any listeners haven't been, I've been doing like a very long ongoing series on interstitial cystitis. So, um, but in case people are new, could you kind of just give us a brief overview of what IC is? Yeah. So IC is um, a tough condition. Uh, There's different subtypes which we're learning about, but basically it's painful bladder syndrome. And so you have inflammation in your bladder. Um, You may or may not have Hunter's lesions and um, you often have frequent urination, burning, um, maybe some pelvic floor dysfunction. Uh, There's a lot of factors and every case of IC seems to be a little bit different. Yeah, absolutely. And the um, Hunter's lesions are the blisters inside the bladder that they used to think everyone had but now it's showing that it's mm-hmm. just 10 percent. is it yeah exactly it's not very common in the IC community and so you know you may go to your doctor and say you know I'm having this frequency and urgency and they're like well I don't see anything in your bladder it actually looks okay um, right. but just you know the symptoms alone should be um, treated you know with a, a whole health approach yeah and do you see um with your clients do you see people come to you and they have endo and IC because, you know, we kind of know that they're dubbed as an evil twin. Um, I just wonder if you happen to have like endo clients with IC. So I personally have not had clients come to me with endo. Um, I know they're out there, but um, we do know, and I was going to talk about this later too, that um, we do know that all of our, our organs talk. And so our brain and our, and our bladder talk, our brain and our, our gut talk. And so there is crosstalk between organs below, including between our bladder and our gut, but potentially between our uterus and our bladder as well. Yeah. Well, well I'm obviously one of those people. So, um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's just very, very interesting to me. So mm-hmm. let's kind of dive more into the nutrition. What part does nutrition play in IC? Because I feel like there's, um, I don't know if the word's conflicting information, but there's a, the IC diet and that might not work for everyone. So I just wondered what, yeah, your perspective on nutrition and IC yeah, so there is a lot of misconceptions, I think, with IC because there isn't a lot of literature right now. Um, so a lot of clients will come to me and they'll say, well, my medical provider said diet doesn't matter. And to be t- truth be told, I'm not sure that there's really a single condition or even any certain level of health where nutrition doesn't at least oh play a role. I'm so um, with you on that. 
So, I mean, food provides every nutrient we need, the macronutrients like carbs and protein, the micronutrients like vitamin C or vitamin A um, or zinc, you know, and that's what our body needs to function. And so nutrition quite literally really is the foundation of health or illness really for that matter. And so I found that nutrition likely isn't the only root cause for people with IC, um, but it definitely is a part of the puzzle. So, um, you know, if we're failing to identify and address any food sensitivities, we're really failing to remove a barrier to healing, which is my training is removing those barriers to healing. So I always like to say we can either consume foods that fight inflammation and fuel our health, or we can choose foods um, that can cause inflammation and fuel our disease. And mm. um, what are your thoughts on the traditional IC diet? So obviously that, you know, rules out things like tomatoes and citrus fruits. And but then the guidance that gives like ideas of things to eat aren't necessarily anti-inflammatory. <laughs> I love this question. Um, Elizabeth and I talk about it all the time at IC Wellness. So I'll preface my answer by saying that I really do believe the traditional IC diet was developed with the best of intentions. And I really believe it was based on the best available information at the time. Um, so the traditional IC diet was actually based on a questionnaire. Um, a couple of doctors surveyed about 104 IC patients, and they asked them how their symptoms react to 175 different foods. So like you listed and a lot okay. of people, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's, um, it's really just based on a questionnaire. There's really no actual, you know, control or any other um, randomized study at all. It's just a questionnaire. Yeah. As, as you kind of hinted at, you know, people with IC know this, um, that they found that caffeine, citrus, tomatoes, carbonated beverages, hot peppers, artificial sweeteners, pineapple, cranberry, horseradish, vinegar, and pickled herring tend to be um, the most bothersome foods for people with IC. Um, but, you know, I think that you know, literature is still really limited. And so I'm understanding why practitioners, you know, may recommend this diet. Um, and I think it could be something to try when you're first diagnosed with mm -hmm. IC. Unfortunately, people who come to me have tried this diet and, you know, they're pretty much at their wits end as maybe you've experienced because their symptoms are really just affecting their quality of life and their relationships I've seen commonly in clients too. Mm. And for, so for those of us with, because interestingly enough, when I first started having, I mean, I've had bladder pain for years. I just didn't realize it was that. I thought it was endo in the beginning and then the endo pain went away and then there was this other pain and I was like, oh, okay. Um, mm -hmm. When I kind of eliminated those common triggers like tomatoes, citrus fruits, chocolate, alcohol caffeine it didn't make a difference but now so I've just done my first treatment round of SIBO and I I don't know how much you know about SIBO but hydrogen sulfide type SIBO is associated with IC um mm -hmm. and and that's kind of I've been tested positive for both um, methane and hydrogen but I can't get the hydrogen sulfide test that's just come out in the UK um mm -hmm. but it's like I have all the symptoms that strongly suspected that I have that. And I've done my first treatment round 
And my bladder is now responding to cutting out those trigger foods, but it didn't before. So it's it's just Mm -hmm. really interesting. And I was just wondering, you know, I've been doing an anti-inflammatory diet for seven years, probably. And when I spoke to Elizabeth, a lot of her emphasis was on, um, just adopting an anti-inflammatory diet and I know that was her experience like she did that and her pain alleviated whereas I've done an anti-inflammatory diet for seven years and my pain has only just got worse and worse um until now there are you know about three days a week when it's really really bad but most of the time now it's like a five or a six and then on other days it's like a ten Mm -hmm. but before it's like a ten all the time and so if someone has an anti-inflammatory diet they've been eating anti-inflammatory diet all the time um but tomato citrus fruits those kind of things do actually aggravate aggravate them like what do you think's happening here do you think those that portion do have the blisters and like the blisters are responding to that acid like i was just yeah wondering like for the you know the anti-inflammatory diet hasn't done much but cutting out those Mm. ic triggers has yeah so that's a great question um and i think if you don't know where to start, an anti-inflammatory diet is a great place to start because we do find that inflammation is at the heart of nearly every chronic condition. Mm. Unfortunately, you know, a general anti-inflammatory diet really may not be enough um, to decrease the inflammation in every person, especially if you have multiple chronic conditions or food sensitivities. Mm. So something to consider with food sensitivities is that there is a delayed reaction. So you may experience symptoms up to three days after you consume a food. So a lot of times my patients will come to me saying, you know, I feel like I reacted to a salad or I'm reacting to pretty much every vegetable. And there could be something else going on there, but it also could be that it's something that you ate a couple days ago and is now just coming to the surface. Um, and then also when you consume a food you're sensitive to your immune system recognizes the food and actually responds and causes inflammation. And so there are a lot of different ways we can identify your individual food sensitivities. And that could be an elimination diet, like, um, a low histamine diet, a low oxalate diet, or potentially testing. Um, and so, food sensitivities are are tricky and and some people try the elimination diet first and it works for them. If it doesn't, that's where food sensitivity testing comes in and we can talk about that later. Um, But I I have found that for many people with IC, once they're healed, um, the traditional IC diet uh, food list really no longer triggers them. And as long as they're maintaining self-care and stress management, they really can keep their flares at bay and in remission. So I think there is hope there, um, but it, it definitely has to be further in your healing process before you try those foods again. Um, and something else to consider, which I'm going to hit on later is I think that some foods listed in the traditional IC diet are high in histamines or oxalates. And so that could be, you know, something else that's going on where they're doing the best they can there, um, with identifying them, but they haven't labeled them exactly histamine containing or oxalate containing. Mm. So as we're on that subject, I mean, I did, um, a low histamine and low oxalate diet at the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. elimination diet. Um, I did it with um, a functional nutritionist and <laughs> my pain shot through the roof. It was the worst it's ever been. Um, and it was, it was really bad. 
Um, and I barely slept the entire time. I was kind of, some nights I didn't sleep at all. Some nights I had an hour's sleep. Some nights I had four hours sleep. And what would tend to happen is I'd go like five days without sleep. And then I would just have a, have a night where I slept through most of it. Um, and then I was like, oh, okay. It's because like I'd take out something extra. So at one point I thought it was blackberries. So I took blackberries out and then like I slept, but it's because like I'd usually take another food out on the day that I'm just like, oh my God, it's been five days. I need to sleep. And I think mm-hmm. it probably just coincided with me being so tired that my, my body overrode the pain. Um, mm-hmm. And my kind of thinking with that was, I was pretty certain that I had SIBO at this point, um, mm-hmm. but we hadn't tested yet. I had a, a GI map and I had a lot of signs and I wasn't absorbing anything. And, um, and I had like, low secretory IgA and just lots of different signs and I was training in in SIBO so I was I knew kind of the connection between IC and SIBO and also I was really stressed by the diet because I'd done an anti-inflammatory diet for endo for years and it had worked and I had already I was fine with restricting like certain foods on an anti-inflammatory diet and there were times when I would you know I knew that I could enjoy some sugar-free chocolate. Like I don't eat chocolate sugar and I eat 100% like dark chocolate. And mm-hmm. now those kind of things that brought me joy were on top of that, like eradicated. Like I loved cinnamon. Mm-hmm. I loved like having cacao nibs or dark chocolate. And I loved sparkling water. Really help, like what you would think would be like healthy foods and, mm-hmm. not, you know, not a problem. Yogurt, kimchi, like these kind of things that kind of, were healthy and I enjoyed were suddenly taken out and I and I just and um I'm also well I was vegan for seven years um but I'm now eating eggs and at the time I wasn't so (laughs) I was really restrictive it was like Mm -hmm. really restrictive um and so I think that my stress went up and the stress Mm -hmm. was triggering maybe a histamine reaction because you know we you know we know that that does trigger a histamine production. I think that might have been happening. And then I think the SIBO obviously played a really big role and maybe I wasn't going to respond until I started treating that. And now though, what I have noticed is the pain was so bad at that point that I couldn't, um, I couldn't distinguish what was working and what wasn't, but now it's calmed down to a point where like it is really bad, but it's not constantly bad. I can now identify that no, like I can't eat spinach. Like I, I used to eat spinach all the time. Mm-hmm. I can't eat spinach. It puts me in agony, which, mm-hmm. you know, we know it's a histamine oxalate. I can't eat beetroot. Um, I can't eat cacao. Like there are quite obvious things that are related to histamines and oxalates. So it's really interesting that the elim- I didn't respond to the elimination diet, but now I'm kind of, I'm not, full low histamine but there are certain histamine foods that I'm being really cautious of um Mm -hmm. so I just kind of wanted to give some context firstly to my question um and just ask yeah I mean what role does like on a I guess on a scientific level what role does histamines and oxalates play like why would they be bothersome and I guess what's your kind of thing like what's your thoughts on what happened there if anyone is experiencing the same as as I have 
Yeah. So these are really big questions and, um, you know, really could be their own podcast in of themselves. Yeah, very true. I'll, yeah. I'll break them down. And we talk about them on the IC Wellness Podcast if people want to maybe learn in-depth details and everything. I think one thing that happened for you is your stress. Um, I do find that if, you know, if we're not managing stress, people with IC find that their symptoms are just unmanageable. And so it's easier said than done. I know that, but um, if we can manage our stress, you know, we can hopefully decrease one of the contributing factors to our IC symptoms. Um, the other thing is, is your gut dysbiosis and the SIBO. So I have another client who has um, the, the SIBO that you have. And so um, we really had to halt everything that we were doing together because we had to address that root cause before we can move on to the next. So um, I think you saw two factors playing into why that didn't work for you. And that's why it is so important to work, you know, with someone to support you because you might try the low histamine diet and experience what you experienced. And you say, wow, these people don't know what they're talking about, but (laughs) there are so many factors that play into it. So um, I think that it's great that you're addressing your SIBO and then maybe you could kind of go back to food triggers after the SIBO is resolved. Yeah. So, um, so with histamine, basically, um, you know, a foreign invader like an allergen is identified by your immune system and these mast cells in your body release the histamine causing an inflammatory response. So, Um, unfortunately we can develop a histamine buildup in our body for a variety of reasons. Maybe we don't have enough DAO enzyme. Maybe it's our genetics, as you noted, maybe gut dysbiosis and stress or food sensitivities. Um, and there's actually histamine receptors on our bladder and these were found to be elevated in those with IC. So it could be. So interesting. Yeah. Um, and so not only does our body produce histamines, but as you noted, there are some foods that contain histamines like avocados and citrus, um, nuts, beans, fermented dairy, as you noted with the yogurt and, um, and kefir and, um, chocolate, vinegar, alcohol. So, um, so there are a couple of factors there with the histamines. Um, oxalates or oxalic acid is a very highly reactive compound that's attracted to positive minerals. And so oxalates enter our bloodstream and they're filtered through our kidney and down to our bladder, but they can actually form crystals with those minerals in our bladder. So the oxalate crystals, um, when you look at them, you know, scientifically, they actually resemble broken glass structure, which can be really, yeah. Um, And so that can be really irritating to the bladder, as you can imagine, um, and potentially attached to different proteins and and form a calculi. And so um, some people are actually hyper absorbers of oxalates because they have a damaged gut lining or leaky gut. So again, we're getting back to the gut here. Um, an inflamed gut, you know, really can occur for a variety of reasons. Um, antibiotic use, which is common for people with IC, you know, if, if, um, they're finding that they have frequent UTIs, um, or maybe if you're eating conventional foods that have pesticides or herbicides like glyphosate. Um, so, you know, it's really important for, you know, people with IC to consider whether or not, you know, they need to be on a low oxalate diet, but also healing your gut can improve this as well. And common sources, as you kind of mentioned, are the dark leafy greens, beets, nuts, chocolate again, um, teas, and then strawberries. 
Oh gosh, it's so disappointing. That's the other yeah. one that I love, like avocado and strawberries. Like avocado was just my, my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think once you're in, you know, further in your healing journey, you've addressed your SIBO, you've addressed your food sensitivities, you can get back to those foods. Um, you know, people who are in remission, like Elizabeth and a handful of others I've talked to, you know, these foods no longer bother them. Some people mm-hmm. may need to avoid them and it is individualized, but there is hope that you can get get back to a more well-rounded nourishing diet further in your healing journey. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. BU make natural organic products to help us to manage our periods, sleep well, and achieve a greater sense of well-being. Their product line is expanding all the time with just amazing products that I, I love, I'm so happy that this company exists because they're natural for a start and they really focus on menstrual well-being and that's just so important to me. They have a CBD balm, CBD drops, CBD sprays um, that can all help you to manage your um, menstrual pain. They have patches which you can use during the beginning of your period and the lead up to your period to soothe pain and the endometriosis community love them. There's also the sleep pillow mist. So if you're really trying to improve your sleep or you're trying to reduce levels of anxiety when you're sleeping, the sleep pillow mist is just full of soothing essential oils to help with that. They have a menstrual cup now and a menstrual cup foaming cleanser. Um, So if you can wear menstrual cups, then I totally recommend BU. Their cup is made with um, 100% soft medical grade silicone. There's no PBA, no latex, no dye. As I said, all of their products are natural. The company are really committed to women's rights, menstrual health, and good quality products. And I mean, obviously I know them personally because they're my sponsors and they're just a lovely company to support. So if you're interested in having a look at their range, the link is in my show notes. Um, I would love to hear what you think and how you get on with them. Be you. Start soothing period cramps a natural way. This episode is also sponsored by my free endometriosis diet grocery list. This download gives you basically a lowdown of what I eat every week on um, a monthly basis and my personal take on the endometriosis diet. It's not a protocol, set protocol that you have to or should follow, but it is here to serve you, give you inspiration, and help you see what eating for endometriosis might look like in real life. It's there for you to kind of take inspiration from and help you put your own approach together. To download it, just head to my show notes and follow the link to get your free copy. If foods were causing issues like histamines, we're not really looking at a histamine elimination diet as ideally a a long-term scenario. Mm -hmm. Like it would be about getting to some kind of root cause. Like, okay, you've responded well to a low histamine diet. So why is that? What's, Mm -hmm. you know, what's your issue? And then you would start investigating to kind of heal that. 
Yeah. So you can definitely do, you know, testing for histamines, but you know, you can do, I think it's, it's almost more efficient financially, you know, to do a low histamine diet. See if you respond, if you respond, it could be potentially that you don't have the, the adequate DAO levels. So maybe we need to supplement with that. Um, so there are some different things with the low histamine diet. Um, but if you've tried low histamine, you've tried low oxalate, you, um, you've done your GI map and you've addressed gut issues, then maybe you need to dive in further to food sensitivity testing. Mm -hmm. Um, and so again, this could be a whole podcast, but I'll kind of talk about it briefly. Um, and we talk about it more on the IC wellness podcast, if you want more details, but, um, not all food sensitivity tests are created equal. So the most common is IgG testing. Um, but this only captures part of the immune response and really just gives us an IgG level, um, it does not tell us whether that increase in IgG was good or bad. So IgG testing really isn't ideal, but a lot of practitioners do use it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's LCAT, which has a little bit lower reproducibility and validity. And then the LRA by ELISA ACT um, has no peer-reviewed studies on their methods or validity. So neither of those are my favorite either. Um, but that leaves us with the mediator release test or MRT. And this is actually what I offer to my clients because it captures multiple immune cascades because it measures what your immune cells release or those mediators. And it actually has, you know, the, the highest level of reproducibility at 90%. Oh, wow. Um, So yeah. And it is available um, to those in Europe. Um, We have a lab in Poland. So I think that's really awesome. If you have listeners closer to you um, Mm. that it is available to others. Okay. And someone could get that test through, through working with you. Yes. So there are a handful of dietitians like myself who are trained um, in how to use your results and and help you with your LEAP diet, which is based on your MRT results. And so um, I do find that some clients need to follow a low oxalate diet along with their LEAP diet. Um, But my most successful clients do those two, you know, they have been successful with that along with addressing their mindset and stress management. Um, and I actually got my own MRT food sensitivity test, um, because I was curious, you know, Mm. what's causing inflammation in my body. I'm, yeah, I'm generally healthy. I don't have any major concerns. Um, but I did my test and I found out I was sensitive to salmon, almonds, bananas, and apples along with a handful of other things. But as you kind of mentioned, these are all on uh, anti-inflammatory or healthy diet list. So you're Mm -hmm. like, had I not done the test, I would have never known my immune system was reacting to those foods. And so an elimination diet can be a great place to start, but really a test like this can just kind of just give you a huge jump start in your healing journey because you're decreasing your immune system's response to foods and decreasing inflammation. That's so interesting. So mm-hmm. would in a case like mine, if someone was in quite a complicated situation, would you say that that would be the next step? 
I think healing your gut is first. If you have any, okay. you know, if you have any SIBO or if you think you have leaky gut, which um, I'm sure more of the population has it than we know, yeah. that would be the first place to start because I think that's a major root cause for many people with chronic conditions. So that would be my first step. Um, you know, and, and once you've done that, you can go back to maybe try the elimination diets potentially as, you know, again, a more financially reasonable approach to your healing journey. But if you've, you're like, I've tried everything. I'm just sick of guessing. This is, you know, a sure and fast way to figure out what is causing inflammation in your body. Mm. And when someone has like SIBO, and they're doing treatment or, okay, so I've got endocebo and, um, I see mm-hmm. I was using, you know, I was using turmeric and ginger and cinnamon for my endo and I was responding really well to that, but then they started causing me bladder pain. So I can't use that. And now I'm doing treatment for SIBO and I'm in my two week break between treatment. So I'm using a prokinetic and, mm-hmm. um, that pro- prokinetic contains a thousand milligrams of ginger and um also like I'm taking two prokinetics and one of them's got like lots of herbs in it and mm-hmm. so as a result of that I've had a really bad two weeks of symptoms mm-hmm. with my um I see not being able to sleep properly like having two hours sleep one night this week and four hours sleep the next and so and then of course you've then got something like um the SIBO biphasic diet and so you're Mm -hmm. having to navigate like well I need to do this low fiber diet for my SIBO prevention but then actually so you don't have that much food but then you're responding to certain IC trigger foods and I mean if you were doing the biphasic I guess they now have a histamine biphasic diet so that's not too much of a problem although it's tough but I was just wondering your thoughts on that like how to navigate something as frustrating as that because like I have to take these prokinetics mm-hmm. um is there anything that you is there anything that could be soothing um to try and deal with that if you have to try and manage multiple symptoms m- multiple conditions yeah so it is really hard I I know so many of my clients get frustrated because there is a lot of food fear as it, as it is. And then you have all these restrictive diets and, you know, you kind of just feel like, okay, well, I don't have my favorite foods, as you said, and now I'm having to restrict even more. Um, so I think that your approach, you know, with the biphasic diet is, is a great thing to do while you're getting treatment. You could also do, um, an elemental diet potentially if you really need to. Um, I know sometimes that's necessary if you're just really not responding to treatments. Um, but in general, you know, if, if you're trying to soothe the bladder, I think teas, if you're able to, you know, really are a great way to soothe um, your bladder and just soothe your body. So marshmallow root, dandelion, or chamomile are very soothing. Um, You know, potentially you could do like a green juice or something that doesn't have a lot of um, the sugar or fibers or anything in it. Um, But it it is really challenging um, to to do both things, I think, especially for those with IC. Um, Aloe can be great for people with IC because it replenishes um, the the GAG gag or the mucus layer in the bladder. Um, And so I think that that also could be really soothing as you're going through treatments. 
Yeah, see, I don't know. Um, I don't know if like SIBO is your area, but the the challenge that I have with that, I mean, dandelion is fine, but um, I so I trained with um, Dr. Alison Seebecker, and so mm-hmm. she's like a leading SIBO doctor, and she advises against aloe vera chamomile and marshmallow because yeah because they all have um I can't remember which type of carbohydrate but they have a type of carbohydrate that SIBO feeds on Mm -hmm. and I was reading about the uh what's it called desert desert something aloe vera tablets Mm -hmm. and I was like oh my god they sound like heaven like they sound like Mm -hmm. so successful and I just need something to help me get through the SIBO treatment but I mean, it's going to cost me $66 just to get them shipped here. Um, right. And so I'm like, do I want to spend like basically like 120, 130 pounds on a supplement that might then flare up my SIBO? So, but right. I can, I mean, I drink dandelion every day. Um, Good. So maybe it's just drinking more, but it, you know, it is complicated with that. You know, mm-hmm. that these, they all contradict each other and like curcumin is a great one for endo, but mm-hmm. it then triggers pain. Yeah. I think that's, you know, what also contributes to people's journey with the high C is that they're frustrated. Like their conventional mm-hmm. doctor, you know, has these invasive interventions and then, you know, there is very little, you know, actual literature on this. So it's a lot of anecdotal things. Um, but but yeah, you know, there is a lot of contraindication and people are like, well, I sh- you told me I could have this and now I can't. And um, so I think aloe vera later in your healing journey is great. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that we we commonly find um, helps people, but right now is not a good time. And that's where the frustration comes in for a lot of people with IC. Mm. What well, with the elemental diet, because one of the reasons why I didn't, um, I mean, firstly, it's really expensive. Um, but mm-hmm. secondly, the other reason why I haven't tried that route with my SIBO yet is because it's obviously it's a liquid formula and the vitamins are in there as, you know, straight up vitamins and in sort of supplement form. And I was just thinking about vitamin C and sometimes vit- and B vitamins being aggravating for the bladder. And I know that um, B vitamins and vitamin C really hurt my bladder. Mm-hmm. Um, and so do you think that the if someone was, is it personal or do you think that the elemental diet, the benefits of it would maybe, cause you're kind of calming your whole stomach down. Your body's just having a bit of a break from inflammation mm-hmm. in the gut. So I just wondered, do you think that would maybe override having vitamin C or B vitamins in supplement form? Or do you think if you know you respond badly to those, maybe be cautious? Yeah, I would definitely be cautious. Um, I think that your approach is is the best way to start. So you're getting SIBO treatment, you're doing the biphasic diet. Um, if if you're responding well to treatment, then we'll stay there. Um, the time where I, I recommend the elemental diet because it's such an investment is when you're not responding to treatment. Right. That okay. would be kind of our next step. You can develop your, you can make your own elemental diet. Um, it would take a lot of work. It's probably not as palatable, um, but that could <laughs> be something. My client did it and she was like gagging. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I can only imagine what that tastes like. So I think it's definitely kind of saving it for a last resort is is my approach. Mm -hmm. Okay. And actually, I should just say to anyone who doesn't know what the elemental diet is, it's a liquid diet where it's pre-digested 
protein, fat, carbohydrates, and vitamins. So you're going to be drinking um, amino acids, fat, and glucose or dextrose, um, and then supplement form of vitamins. And so the SIBO or the bad gut bacteria starve because they don't have time to eat the food because it's just absorbed through your system straight away because it's it's ready to be absorbed so you get fed but whatever is in your gut that's causing you problems starves and it's also people also use it as a short-term you know kind of gut reset so someone might do it for four days to calm down their their stomach um, or they might use it for a week for leaky gut but for SIBO, it's about two to three weeks. So mm-hmm. if anyone is confused by what we're talking about, that's yep. what we mean. Um, that's a great explanation. <laughs> good. I'm glad. <laughs> um, is there any other supplement, supplements that you find your clients respond to? Yeah. So D-Manos is really um, good if you find that you have frequent infections. Um, so I think that one is really nice. Um Quercetin is also one that you could consider, but it commonly comes with vitamin C. So you would want yeah. to make sure so that you, yeah, uh, the one that I found at the store is like that. So, um, that's where, you know, potentially working with your practitioner, maybe they have a full script where they can order one that's not with that. Um, so I think those are kind of the most common. I do find that sleep is a huge barrier for people with IC in their healing. Um, mm. so if we can maximize sleep, that would be really important. And sometimes taking extra magnesium before bed can be beneficial for that because a lot of us don't get enough magnesium in our diet, especially if we're following a restrictive diet. Um, And that's where too, maybe you need to do micronutrient testing to make sure that you have all of the nutrients that you need for on these restrictive diets. Maybe we need to supplement a little bit to give our body everything it needs to heal. Mm. What what, um, test would you use for that? Yeah. So SpectraCell is a common one we use here in the United States. Um, mm-hmm. and it's really a full panel. Um, if you have great insurance, um, potentially you could go through your medical provider and, you know, get most of those done through your medical provider as well. Okay, great. Cause I had, um, my nutri- I did, obviously I did GI map, but that's for more for gut health, but then I did, um, has a urine test, a Dutch du- test. I uh, know. Um, I can't believe I can't remember the name, but it basically looks at your metabolites. Okay. And what, um, but I can't think of the, I can't think of the name, but my question, my concern with that is like, cause it's just you looking at your urine for a day. So just is kind of looking at what nutrients you've been able to absorb on that day or haven't been able to absorb. And I wonder if like how accurate that is. Um, but I can't remember the name. Yeah. But it's good to know that you're doing. I think that, you know, if you can do a blood test um, to really see your levels, like your ferritin or iron, I think that's usually best to get kind of your stores and, and your current status usually. Oh, that's what it is. The organic acid test. Oh, yes. I have heard of that one. I don't run that one myself, but I, I know some practitioners use it. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I've heard of the SpectraCell one as well. I'll have a look into that. Um, okay. And do you find that obviously you mentioned some teas and you guys have a, a juice cookbook. Well, I guess it's not a cookbook, mm-hmm. but a juice book. Um, mm-hmm. And are those specifically like soothing? Are there, are there certain kind of foods that you would use in juices or, or kind of in meals that are particularly soothing? Yeah. So I think our, our juice book is really great because 
kind of like an elemental diet, everything is already broken down, um, easy to digest. And so that can be a great way to get in some nutrients without all the fiber um, and just really easily absorb all those vitamins and minerals. Um, So our sweet greens juice is one of my favorites. Um, I also find that pumpkin can be pretty soothing for people. Um, So yeah. So we have a pumpkin smoothie in our IC diet, the complete IC diet cookbook. Um, and then I also have, if you tolerate, you know, all of these nutrient, all of these ingredients, um, I have a pumpkin, um, chia pudding is, and you can even make it into like an overnight oats or something too. So good. Yeah, the the chia may be a little bit hard for people with oxalates, but the smoothie is really nice just to get some good soothing um, nutrients in there that are easy to digest as well. Okay, amazing. And I I just wondered, what's your experience with coconut for people? Because um, when I was doing this low oxalate, low histamine, coconut was included and I was having it all the time for fat to keep my blood sugar balanced because I didn't really have many sources of fat. And I, I don't know if you follow Dr. Becky Campbell, but in her book, or maybe it wasn't actually, maybe it was a training I did on histamine by phasic. I think it was that one. And the nutritionist who designed the histamine by phasic diet uh, with Dr. Jacoby, um, she said that it's kind of like 50, 50 with coconut. Some people have mm-hmm. a really bad histamine reaction to it. Some people are fine. And I, I only found this out months later after I'd done this diet. And I was just like, ah, I wonder if that was like another piece because I was having it every day. And I just wondered what you've seen with coconut and your clients. Yeah, I think that it is very individualized. I have some clients who have no problem with it. And then I do have some that need to avoid it. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say that, you know, dandelion root isn't a concern, but if we're eating the same thing every day, we actually can develop new food sensitivities. So you know, that's where these restrictive diets, um, they are temporary ideally, because if we just say, oh, wow, I feel great on a low FODMAP diet or a low histamine diet, I'm just going to continue this, you know, that we could develop new food sensitivities and get ourselves into trouble later in life when we start reacting to foods that we didn't previously react to. So, um, it is 50, 50, but I think, you know, continuing to work on that expansive diet is also important to prevent that. Yeah, because I I used to have spinach every day for years. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Now I have rocket every day and I love rocket. So maybe I should ease up because I don't want to have to take that out for a while. (laughs) Yeah, I think a variety is good just to also get us different nutrients as well, but also Mm. prevent that new sensitivity. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, thank you so much. Is there anything else that before we um, wrap up that you wanted to share with my audience and anything that you just kind of, was wisdom or next steps for people? Yeah. So, I mean, our mission at IC Wellness is really just to bring hope to the IC community. Um, Elizabeth really felt like she was in, she was alone, you know, in this, she didn't know anyone with IC and, and conventional medicine really wasn't giving her the answer she needed. And so that's why she started IC wellness is to help others who have been where she's been. So if you're struggling with this diagnosis, I just want you to know that you're definitely not alone. And there's so many people who have found healing through the work um, that Elizabeth has done, the work that you're doing. Um, it's so important for, you know, the IC warriors to come together. So 
Um, Elizabeth Yautani is my business partner and she's a fellow IC warrior that wrote a book called How I Got My Life Back. And I think that can be really um, inspiring for people with IC to learn about her journey and also get some tips on healing, um, you know, outside of working with their practitioner. So if you need support to get your life back, um, we just want you to know that IC Wellness is here for you. Okay, thank you so much. And where can people find IC Wellness? Like what's, do you have an Instagram and what's the website? Yeah. So we have an Instagram, IC Wellness, and you can find us on our website, www.icwellness.org. Um, on there, we have a blog, we have our podcast, tons of resources. And then if you need more support to work one-on-one, Elizabeth and I um, are there to consult with you and support you in your healing journey. Okay. Amazing. And are you taking bookings at the moment or is there a waiting list? Yes. So I'm currently taking bookings right now and hopefully we'll have more resources um, for I see people um, in the future too. So always check back to see, you know, what we have going on at IC Wellness. Okay, amazing. I'm really excited about what whatever is coming. So please let me know so I can share it with the community. Because, Most yeah, definitely. Yeah, it sounds amazing. And I would love to work with you at some point when I can. I'm spending so much money on my super treatment. But once that's done, it'd be really, um, and if I still need help, I'd love to love to work with you. Yeah, I think that it is hard. Um, I see it requires a lot of investment. And so you just start where you can. And, mm-hmm. you know, as you're able to continue investing in your health, um, it really does pay off, but you just do the best you can with what you have right now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been absolutely amazing. And I'm so sorry for like throwing those personal scenarios at you. But I just think it's so, I know my clients, my clients, my community respond really well to hearing like real life scenarios because there are so many people experiencing unique situations with their conditions. Um, So hopefully some people can kind of relate to my more complicated case with this um but yeah, yeah thank you so much for coming on and I'm sure that there are going to be lots of people reaching out to you now because it just sounds like you're doing amazing work so thank you so much so that's it thank you so much for listening if you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it um you can head to my instagram page which is this underscore endolife um you can head to my website which is www.thisendolife.com and you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website um i've put the link in my show notes it's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that i um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. It really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world. (laughs) 